Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie. Well, Amy, love is in the air. You know, some of us are old <laughs> enough to remember that song. You remember that song? Oh, yeah. yeah. I do. It's almost Valentine's Day, and it has been since about mid-December, I think. I, I know I was seeing Valentine's stuff in the stores before Christmas, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, the shelves. Yeah. You would think there would be Christmas candy on the shelves, but uh, yeah, I saw a lot of pink and red. <laughs> yeah. Know, I, know. I guess nothing can stop retailers from rushing the season once again, and not even supply chain issues, I guess. Yeah, that's for sure. I know I I had some friends who said they went to look for Christmas candy for their kids and all they could find was Valentine's stuff. So, I mean, <laughs> funny? it's crazy. You know what? What I would like to know is who in the world are you people who are buying Valentine's stuff in December? I mean, doesn't doesn't the candy get kind of stale over two months? I mean, you must be like super prepared or something. I think you have to buy it while it's fresh. So I'm looking forward to getting out there and getting all the Easter candy that I possibly can, especially those Reese's, you know, got to have those. But anyway, well, here's something that never gets stale, and that is biblical love and godly marriages. And since next week is Valentine's Day, we thought we'd offer a little pushback to what you're probably hearing from the world and the jewelry commercials and the Hallmark movies right about now, um, you know, about what they think love and marriage is all about. Well, we're going to talk about about the real thing. You know, the New Testament teaches us all about the different kinds of love, and there are really four different Greek words for the word love. There's agape, the kind that uh, God has for us, for his children. There's storge, which is the kind of love that we have for our family, especially the love of parents for their children. And then there's phileo, meaning brotherly love and friendship. And then there's eros, the kind of romantic love that's reserved for husbands and wives. Now, Michelle and I both recently celebrated wedding anniversaries right after Christmas. Uh, Bob and I celebrated 33 years on December 31st. Yay! And Michelle, uh, what, what was it for you and Scott? How many years? We celebrated our 29th anniversary on December 29th. So we were we were both December brides, weren't we? And you yes, were a New Year's we were. Yeah, and you were a New Year's Eve bride too. Yeah, that way Bob can't forget our anniversary. Actually, he picked that out. <laughs> Smart man. Oh, yeah. Well, Bob and I met, actually, um, we, we dated for a long time. We met in high school, actually. So he was on the verge of his 17th birthday, and I was uh, four months older. So I, I kind of robbed the cradle, I guess. But uh, we were in a high school play together, and, and then I realized um, he's in choir. And so uh, anyway, we, we dated all through uh, the rest of high school and, and college and went to different colleges. So that was actually a good thing to have that little separation. But uh um, you know, he was he was Catholic and I would go to mass with him because I was Unitarian and by that time I was kind of not in church anymore, but uh very curious. And so uh by the time he popped the question, uh it was a complete surprise to me, and it actually happened on Valentine's Day, which was really sweet, and I was surprised and everything. And then uh, a few months later, New Year's Eve, um, we tied the knot, and it was just a beautiful thing. And um, you know, and but we were not, yeah, I mean, obviously we were pagans, we didn't we weren't um we weren't Christs yet. So um a, and a few years later, after our, our first son was born. Uh, we, uh, the, the Lord opened our eyes. And that's when actually the happily ever after that Disney tries to sell you, uh, 
for for our part, eternally happily ever after, uh, joyfully ever after, I should say, that's when that all started. And so, yep, that was 33 years ago, and uh, and we're still going strong. How about you, Michelle? Oh, that's so great. And so you're so he proposed to you on Valentine's Day. Yes, he did. So you're coming up on the anniversary of of his proposal to you. That is correct. Hey, that's right. That's so, cool. so we always try to, we, we don't go out. Um, if you've ever tried to go to dinner on Valentine's Day or that <laughs> night, uh, try to get reservations and then you're standing there for an hour waiting for a table. We just don't yeah. do it. So we usually, you know, we usually stay in and, you know, just hang out and watch some movies and whatever that is, you know, have a nice meal. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we usually celebrate Valentine's Day by going out on February the 15th and buying all the candy on half price. <laughs> Oh, that's a smart thing. And then and then the Easter candy comes. That's, that's right. right. Okay. And then you wait till the day after Easter. You wait till the day after Easter, the day after Halloween, the day after Christmas, you know, get your get Go your candy that cheap. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, well, Aww. you know, you said that uh, he proposed to you on Valentine's Day. And so you can't forget yes. your proposal date. And then y'all got married on New Year's Eve. So you can't forget right? your your wedding day. <laughs> well, actually, our anniversary, December the 29th, is the same as my parents' anniversary. Not that I would forget it oh. or anything like that. We didn't really plan it that way. It just kind of worked out that way, the way the dates fell. But um, we, my husband, Scott, and I met in the singles Sunday school department at church when we were both single, obviously. And um, he, I, I had been going there for several months, uh, going to that church. And I came in and sat down one Sunday on, on the folding chairs. You know, we had rows of folding chairs in the Sunday school room. And I sat down in one chair. And then a friend of mine came in and sat down one chair away from me. So there was an empty chair between the two of us. And he and I were carrying on a conversation. And then Scott came in and I, I don't think, I don't know if it was his first Sunday or maybe he, it was, you know, his second or third Sunday, but he hadn't been visiting very long. And he came in and sat in the chair between me and my friend. And so <laughs> I leaned, <laughs> I was still having a conversation with my friend. So I leaned around Scott to say one more thing to this friend of mine. And, and Scott said, Am I in your way? And he's been in my way ever since. That's how I like to tell the story. <laughs> in your way ever but, since. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we started dating shortly after that. And um, we dated for several months. And I think that that was around, I think that was in May of 1991. And then that December, you know, we had been dating for what is that? Seven months, I guess. And so for Christmas that year, he gave me a new Bible with my name on it, but only my first name, not my first and last name. You know, it, you know how they're engraved in the leather on the yeah. front. And so it just said Michelle on it. And so I thought, okay, I know what's coming <laughs> at some point anyway. <laughs> so, um, so we continued to date for a while and he finally, finally, finally proposed that next May. So we had been dating for about a year and, um, and then we, I was teaching at the time. So we could have, we had two windows of opportunity to get married. We could, we could get married in August or we could get married in December on Christmas break. So um, we we felt like May to August, not long enough to plan a wedding. So we planned it for December between Christmas and New Year's, you know, because uh, that was when all of my family was going to be in town for Christmas anyway. And so we, we didn't want people to have to travel twice for, you know, Christmas and a wedding. 
So, um, so we got married on December 29th on a Tuesday evening. I know a lot of people think that's kind of unique, but that's just the way Tuesday, it worked out. That is interesting. Yeah, it worked out that way because uh, it had to do with when Christmas fell, which I think was on a Saturday, Friday or Saturday, I can't remember. So it was, we couldn't use the church on the Saturday. I think it was because Christmas was on Saturday. And then we couldn't, um, something about, have we couldn't have the rehearsal uh, and the rehearsal dinner, you know, the day before or something like that. So it just worked out better to have it the next week and, and do the rehearsal on Monday and the wedding on Tuesday. So that is how it all worked out for us. And we've been oh, married 29 years. So great. So. 29 years. Wow. Yeah. Well, and you know, you and I have been at this love and marriage thing for a while now. And I think it's safe to say we've learned a few things. We've seen a few things and we've learned a few things. Oh, right? yeah. Just like the farmer's insurance. But yeah, um, marriage really <laughs> is a school of sanctification. It really does teach you uh, the things you've always wanted to know and then other things you just never wanted That's to right. know. That's <laughs> right. But uh, God uses all of those things to grow us to uh, greater Christ-likeness. And so combined, I think uh, between the two of us, Michelle, we've got over 60 years of wifing experience sitting right here. And you know, we've learned a lot in our own marriages and from the marriages of friends and loved ones. So in the spirit of Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, uh, we older women wanted to pass along to you younger ladies uh, some of the things that we've learned during those years, and we hope that it will be helpful and bless you. We sure do. Now, we do want to offer a couple of brief disclaimers before we get started. Uh, first one, Amy, I don't know about you, but it seems like every time I talk or write about marriage these days, especially on the topic of submission, which I know is going to come up tonight, uh, somebody will invariably bring up the argument, yes, but what about women in abusive marriages? Okay, and that is that is a terrible situation. But we have dealt with the issue of abuse in previous episodes, and we're not addressing that tonight. In this particular episode, we're talking about run of the mill, normal Christian, non-abusive marriages. So that's our first disclaimer. Second disclaimer, moms, this is a podcast episode about marriage. Okay, there's a particular aspect of marriage that you may not be ready for your kiddos to hear about in the car on the way to baseball practice. Catch my drift. We will let you know when we get to that part so you can hit pause or you might just want to turn on your favorite Southern Gospel playlist right now and listen to this episode later when you're alone. Yeah, we're going to have to go with Southern Gospel music because um, there's no Northern Gospel playlist unless it's really set to polka. <laughs> That's so, right. Anyway, roll out the barrel, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right, Amy, what is the first thing you'd like to pass on to young wives about love and marriage? Oh, well, my first little bit of advice is pray, 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 um, pray for him first. And then don't forget to pray for yourself, pray for your husband in his role as your husband and for yourself in your role as his wife. And do this often because when, uh, and we all know this to be true, when two sinners get together and decide to be married, even forgiven sinners. Now, you know, both of you are now walking that fine line between holiness and your own sin natures. And now, you know, now that you're together, you're dealing with each other's sin nature. So you've got your own 
and you've got his, and both of you need prayer very much. And and here's why. You know, prayer is probably the most powerful thing you can do for your husband and for your marriage. You know, pray for your husband's walk with the Lord, situations he's facing at work, weaknesses he might be struggling with. Pray that God will help you to be a godly wife and that God will show you how to best support and encourage your husband. So if you want your husband to, you know, change in some way, you know, Lord, make him stop throwing his dirty socks on the floor, whatever it is, you know, I mean, don't nag, don't nag him. Pray for him and just pray, just show him grace and pray that God will help you to respond to your husband in a Christ-like way. Um, you know, he really does need your prayers because he is leading your whole family. Even if it's just the two of you, he needs those prayers. And he's the one who loves you more than anyone else in this world. That's the man that God gave you. So you need prayer to help you remember to put him first. And that, you know, this is going to sound strange because really you have one job in this whole thing. You have one job. Your part in this marriage is to love him. And that means a lifetime of selfless service. I know it sounds countercultural, and it really is, but it's, it is not a burden, nor should it be. After your relationship with Christ, your first love and your loyalty, service, confidentiality, and uh, all that time, that all belongs to your husband, not your children, not your mother, not your sister, or your best friend. Your husband has to come first. And remember, his one job in this whole marriage is to love you, too, in a lifetime of selfless service to you. Now, your role and his role are going to look a little different in how that plays out. Most of the problems, though, and the conflicts in marriages that I've seen over the years anyway, happen when one of us or both of us puts our own self-interests above the other person's. I'd say that's probably 99% of all marital problems. You both need to pray often to help you remember that. And do make sure that you're not just praying on your own, but I would say praying together as a couple, it is just an amazing thing. It's amazing how uh, tightly bound you become to one another when you hear each other pray for one another. What do you think about that, Michelle? Any thoughts to add? That is so true, you know, and I, I want to echo what you were saying about praying for your husband instead of nagging him. I mean, it's important to pray for your husband on a daily basis. You know, be thankful for your husband when um, he does something nice for you or when he's, you know, being on his best behavior or whatever. But don't forget to pray for him when what you really want to do is hit him with the car. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, ask, ask the Lord, you know, thank the Lord, even in those moments when you're just furious with him. And you newlywed ladies, you know, I hate to break this to you, but that moment is coming for you. I used to, <laughs> right after I got married, I used to go to work every day and think, how can these women leave their husbands every day just to go to work? And then I oh, learned yes. <laughs> <laughs> there will be moments when you, you know, you're not thrilled with him. And that is a really important moment to pray for your husband and to be thankful for him. Even when you're mad at him, tell God, thank you for giving you a husband. Thank him that, you know, thank God that your husband provides for you that, you know, 
if you can't think of anything else, you know, that he puts the toilet paper on the roller the right way, or I don't know if anybody's husband does that, but you know, if you know, I, does. I just, can I, can I just say, um, the toilet paper thing, um, mullets are wrong, beards are right. So if you picture the toilet paper roll, mullets is the back <laughs> way. But anyway, just thought I'd pass that along, just a little wisdom. So it goes over the top is what you're saying, yep, you right? Bet. That's, that's, that's the beard. That is that's the, the right beard. way. Once again, we agree. <laughs> But um, I didn't. You know. I wasn't sure if we would, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> I, you had me worried there for just a second. I thought you were going to say the wrong thing, but but of course you didn't. No, you no, never do. No. There's only one way to put toilet paper on. That's a right. Roll. Come on. You know, and if your husband doesn't know the right way, pray for him. <laughs> exactly. Maybe God will show him the right way. <laughs> but it is really, really important to pray for your husband. Pray for yourself. Pray for your marriage. Just be in constant prayer. Okay. Um, my first piece of counsel is this, and it's it's not really a biblical saying, but it really it has a biblical principle behind it. This too shall pass. Like when your husband puts the toilet paper on the wrong way, <laughs> this too shall pass. You know, it's it's easy to look at one fight or one difficult time and think in that moment, that's it. This marriage is over. We're just never going to recover from this. But after a while, you realize this is just like one little tree in the forest of your whole marriage. At some point, things will calm down and you'll be on the other side of it. Mar not to mix my metaphors here, but marriage is a cross-country marathon, not a sprint on smooth pavement. Just keep going. You know, you have to keep going forward. And the way to start doing that, you know, first thing, admit when you're wrong and ask for forgiveness. If you've sinned against your husband, crucify that pride, admit it and ask him to forgive you. That'll really that'll humble a person. Trust me, I know. And, you know, also don't forget to repent and seek God's forgiveness as well. And then forgive quickly. You know, if your husband has sinned against you, forgive him and don't hold a grudge. You will not find a passage of scripture that says it's okay to hold a grudge or dangle your forgiveness over your husband's head until he has groveled sufficiently. And that's not a Christ-like attitude to have anyway. The Bible says we are to be kind and tenderhearted and to forgive the way Christ forgave us. So think about this. Do you forgive your husband the way Christ forgives you? And then you know, another thing that's really important is extend grace. You know, your husband is going to mess up. I know he seems perfect right now, but he is going to mess up often. And so are you. Don't turn his every little mistake and sin into World War III. The Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. We talked about that not too long ago on uh, one of our episodes, one of our previous episodes. So extend the same love and grace to him and in his offenses that you would want him to extend to you in yours. And remember that God uses marriage to sanctify you. Try to keep that in mind and be thankful for the ways God is growing you, even during the rough patches. Mm, I really like that, Michelle. And I, I um, love how you said, don't forget to thank God for blessing you with your husband, because he really is a blessing. He is the one that God picked for you. So, you know, especially, I, I love how you said, you, know, you want to hit him with the car. Well, you know, we don't. <laughs> You know, at, at times, I, I was tempted a few times to hit him with a sopping wet sponge, but that wouldn't hurt so bad <laughs> as a car. But really, when you're angry, um, don't let your marriage look like something on reality TV, like slamming doors 
or throwing things. That is not helpful. And if you're if you're watching that stuff, turn that off, really. Um, and that that's not the real world. Well, that's not the real Christ-like uh, example that we are supposed to have. That could be the real world, I guess. But also passive-aggressive behavior, that doesn't work either. It, it's just not Christ-like at all. So uh, really catch yourself doing it and then repent. And uh, really, it'll go a lot better. Pour your heart out to God about your anger. Um, but then again, like Michelle said, start thanking God for all of your husband's good qualities. And you might be surprised at the way it does change your heart and your frame of mind and uh, increases your ability to forgive. All right. So the next bit of counsel that I would like to offer is Ah, we alluded to it, the dreaded S word, submit. <laughs> and so again, um, you know, if, if your feathers are getting a little ruffled, put those back down. Biblical submission is not as uh, some secular feminists might have you believe for weak women or doormats or anything like that, but for strong, godly women. You know, it really does take much more strength to exercise self-control and to obey God's word than to just the do and say whatever you feel like doing and saying, you know, I'm going to go my own way. You know, that's that's not strength. And trust me, I know submission is not easy. It really goes against our flesh and our feelings. I, I do know this. I'm, I, I really do. And um, But biblical submission will make your marriage better, healthier, and more Christ-centered, and it's going to grow you to be more like Jesus. You know, God did design us differently, and he designed our roles differently. So we're going to put some, uh, show notes, some links uh, to some other episodes where we've covered this more in great detail, but God made us, he created us to be helpers or a help meet. You might have heard that word before. What does that mean? Well, the word help meet comes from Genesis 2.18, which says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And uh, in the King James, it does say help meet for helper. Uh, so you may have heard the the Hebrew word for help meet is ezer kenedgo. I think I'm saying that right. Some people say ezer kenedgo, but uh, however you pronounce it, um, it what it means is a suitable helper. And the key in that phrase is the word, not helper, but suitable. A suitable wife is compatible with her husband in in pretty much every respect, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So how does that look in a godly marriage? What about, you know, you might be asking, what about household chores or jobs or child rearing and that kind of thing? Well, that's going to look a little different in each marriage. For instance, my husband likes to iron. I mean, seriously, he doesn't want me to do that for him. So he's he's the guy in charge of the iron and the ironing board. And he'll often do that for both of us. Um, so even, you know, like if we go on vacation or something like that, run packing suitcases, first thing he does is he grabs the iron and plugs it in and offers to iron my clothes for me. It's so sweet. Um, and a few years ago when our, our, our first iron lasted a long time, and but it finally fizzled out and uh, he was so excited to go pick out the next one. He got this uh, cordless, heavy-duty thing with a charger base and a backup cord, and it just really looks like something Black & Decker would make. So definitely not a girly girl iron at all. But anyway, I... I'm, you know, kind of getting off track here, but every family <laughs> operates differently when it comes to, you know, that kind of thing and to careers and uh, childbearing and, and, you know, any kind of household chore you can think of. It, it's going to look different. 
But couples ought to reach a mutual agreement early on in the marriage about who's going to carry out which tasks. And they should help each other whenever the need arises. Um, that being said, biblically speaking, God has placed wives in the role of helping their husbands, not the other way around. So if your husband is at work all day and then he comes home and he makes the supper and he cleans up the house and he raises the kids while you pursue your hobbies or leisure activities, you know, that's going to build resentment real quick. And there's a reason for that. Going back to this role thing. Again, there are different seasons and reasons that he might do those things and take on, you know, some or most of the burden. Uh, last year when I had my heart surgery, uh, my husband lovingly ran the household like a champ while I sat there in my recliner squeezing my heart pillow. He did it all. And it was, you know, I felt so honored and loved. Also a little guilty, I will admit. Um, couldn't wait to get back on my feet to, to do that again. But. Now, bottom line is you both have responsibilities and each other to take care of in your own unique ways. And let that be a joy and not some kind of miserable chore, even if, okay, even if he's grumpy or unkind or whatever it is, you serve him as unto the Lord without complaining. Like it says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So if you're not finding joy in serving your husband, you know, maybe the problem isn't him. Maybe it's time to repent and just adjust your attitude a little bit. What do you think, Michelle? Oh, boy, there's a lot of women clutching their pearls out there thinking <laughs> at you saying Sorry, that, you know, I'm the problem clutch. is me. It couldn't be me, you know. But yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, I think, um, you know, women our age, maybe, maybe younger women too, but women our age, we grew up in the, in the seventies and eighties when, um, you know, the, the feminist agenda was, was out there right there in your face and they were bra burnings and, you know, Gloria Steinem and all the, marches and the ERA and all that. And so uh, it was a little difficult, you know, when I came to marriage to to start submitting to my husband. I mean, it was just, um, it was, like you said, very countercultural. And uh, I remember when we were going through our wedding vows, you know, picking out the vows that we were going to say in the wedding, I didn't want to say submit. You know, I was I was just still hard headed. I'm so embarrassed to think about this now, but I was just so hard headed and I didn't you know, I didn't want to even say the word. I think I didn't want to say the word obey is what it was. I didn't want to love, honor and obey. I didn't want to say obey. And so we we shuffled through a lot of different various vows. And the one that we came up with was something like uh, I would say uh, submitting myself to you as to Christ, which is kind of what you just said. And unfortunately, in our wedding video, there is there is an audible pause before I said that, you know, because I was <laughs> hesitant to say that, but uh, even though it was, you know, what I had picked uh-huh. out. But but well, look I how think, God has grown you, though. That, yes, that's it really that is he has softened you. Yes, it really is amazing how he has grown me. Marriage is a great sanctifier, um, and it really will teach you to to humble yourself and to to submit to your husband but also i think you know a lot of us overthink 
submitting to our husbands. If you are striving to be godly and humble and a servant, just in general, you know, if you're striving to be a servant to Christ, that's going to spill over into your marriage and you are going to, uh, you're going to be able to submit to your husband because you're, you're pursuing obedience to Christ. And that is what he wants us to do. So, um, don't overthink it. Don't get all freaked out by the word submission. Just strive to be godly and strive to be humble and to serve Christ. And, you know, the submission and marriage thing will fall into place. All righty. Now, moms, if you have the little ones around, this is where I was telling you about. You might want to hit pause or grab your earbuds for this next segment. We talked earlier about the different Greek words for love, and we mentioned that eros is the type of romantic love that's reserved for husbands and wives, and that includes sex. Sex is a very important part of marriage. Before you get married, you and your intended should have an honest and open talk about each of your sexual histories. Now, hopefully that'll be a short talk because if you're not married, you shouldn't have a sexual history. But, you know, there are situations in which one of you might be widowed or divorced, or maybe you didn't get saved until after you had already given your virginity away, or maybe you even sinned sexually after getting saved. Whatever the case might be, don't try to hide your past. I've seen people try to do that, and it always comes back to bite them later. You think you don't want your fiance to find out what you did? How do you think you're going to feel 10 or 20 or 50 years down the road when your husband and the father of your five children finds out? Okay, so give that some thought. Confess your sins to one another, James 5.16 says. Confess your sins to God and repent if you haven't already. After you get married, every couple has to come to their own unique mutual agreement and understanding of each spouse's wants and needs when it comes to sex. Now, coercion is never appropriate, but ladies, neither is manipulation or depriving one another. Do not, under any circumstances, use withholding sex as a weapon or reward. Do not punish your husband for not doing things the exact way you want him to do them by withholding sex or don't punish him for anything else by withholding sex and don't dangle sex like a carrot in front of your husband that he can have if he'll just do whatever it is you're wanting him to do. You should both come to the marriage bed freely with no agenda, no strings attached. Sex isn't a bargaining chip. It's a celebration of your marriage and your love for one another. And ladies, don't deprive your husband just because you're not, quote unquote, in the mood. Okay, there are going to be times when you're not in the mood for sex, but your husband is. And if lack of the mood is the only thing causing you to say no, listen, Say yes anyway, and do it joyfully and enthusiastically. Think of it this way. Your husband probably isn't always in the mood to go to work or to take out the trash or to help with the kids, but you want him to do those things anyway with a happy heart because he loves you. Marriage is about serving each other in all respects of life, whether you're in the mood at the moment or not. Hmm. Well, you know, and as you grow older, ladies, your moods do change uh, uh, quite a bit as your body changes. And it's okay to talk with your primary care doc or your gynecologist about these changes. 
You know, he or she will help make sure that there isn't anything that is preventing you from being in the mood or being a little frisky. But, you know, <laughs> talk about these things with your husband. I mean, really be open and honest about it. Sometimes it does help to laugh about it. I, and I find humor and laughter is a great way to get through it. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it is awkward, but it doesn't have to be if you, you know, lighten it up a little bit. And by the way, some of the most intimate moments you will have with your husband won't be in the bedroom. Uh, believe it or not, there'll be those moments when you look at each other across a crowded room and your eyes meet and maybe you both start laughing internally, maybe if it depends on where you are, because you're sharing the same thought. Your minds start to become uh, pretty in tune with each other. And all those private jokes and funny faces and the code words that you guys have, hilarious memories, all these things that only the two of you share and find funny. You know, laughter really does uh, grow love and intimacy, I think. What do you think, Michelle? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just try not to let it happen in church too much or your <laughs> pastor will start giving you the eye. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He, he might tell you to settle down. But. Okay, next. Um, I, I like this one. Um, and, and I learned this from my husband because he told me one time what he wanted. He wanted surprises. So find way to, ways to uh, surprise him. I, I just remember that really early on in our marriage, my husband told me he really liked those little moments that I let him know that I'm thinking about him. He just really loved that. And those things made him feel loved and appreciated. And I know it's true for us, right? I mean, those little acts of thoughtfulness, like unexpected flowers or doing the dishes or uh, leaving me a love note. I just love that. Those things are so wonderful. Um, some ideas, you know, you could cook his favorite meal or uh, text him some heart emojis. Maybe you already do that. Uh, wear a cute outfit that he really likes. I mean, things like that. Leave him a post-it note for him to find when he's at work. You know, not all the time, though. And remember, these are little unexpected surprises, not daily expectations. Okay, don't overdo it. Just surprise once in a while. Um, okay, so I've got one. One thing that I like to do uh, when the bathroom mirror is all steamy after my shower, I like to... Um, just write a big love note with lots of hearts and just say something either goofy or really serious. And then um, just let that steam fade away. You know, you don't have to wipe it off or anything. And if you have a clean mirror, you should not see the note in the mirror once uh, once the steam goes away. And then later on, after he gets out of his shower, he's going to see there, right there in the steam, your little note. And uh, I just think that's romantic. It, it's really fun. Um, and sometimes it comes back after the next shower, too, just fades a little bit. But uh, And then he'll do that for me. It's it's really funny. But notice that all of these ideas, they're, they're just free. They don't have to be expensive. Um, you don't have to go over the top like in TV ads. You know, no one needs a big diamond watch or a car in the driveway with a bow on top. And you'll just end up getting stressed out when the credit card bill, card bill comes anyway. You know, you want to build your marriage around making memories, just, you know, just enjoying each other. Um, spend time talking or working on a project together or doing those mundane chores side by side, having a few laughs. Sometimes it's not he went to Jared, but sometimes it's we went grocery shopping. And that can bring the most joy and laughter, I think. What do you think, Michelle? Oh, yeah, I think so, too. That's I think some of the most special times that my husband and I have had have been like those those moments where you share a laugh that you know, only the two of you know the inside joke or, yeah. you know, you, you just go shopping together or running errands together, just spending time together. And and I think another thing um, that I just thought of that's really important to those special times together is to unplug. 
Don't, you know, when you go, like when you go out to eat or something like that, don't be on your phone the whole time. Put your phone down, talk to each other. Um, you know, when you go, when you're in the car driving to the store, put your phone down, turn the radio off, just talk to each other um, and things like that. Just little simple things, like you said, that are free and easy to do. Um, and those are, you know, it's it's bonding time and, and it's spending time together. So, yeah. those Yeah. Unplugging is really hard. And, and I know I've, I've been guilty of, you know, looking at my phone when I probably should put that away. You know, and he'll say if we're in the car or something and it's quiet, and I'll, I'll look at my phone and I'll say, huh, who's with us today? <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's just a nice little reminder that I, yeah, I'll, I'll put that away. Spend time. I'll be in the moment. I'll be present. So. Yeah, that's that's really important. It's it's pretty easy for me because I am so I'm so distractible that I've learned that, you know, if my husband walks into the room and I've got the TV on, I have to turn the TV off or I won't be able to focus on what he's saying. So just whenever someone's talking to me or, you know, when my husband and I are spending time together or whatever, I, you know, it's not even a problem for me to put the phone down or turn the TV off or whatever, because I, I'm just, it just drives me crazy to have two things going at the same time. You know, I'm too distractible. So it's, it's much easier for me to just focus on my husband. And he'll say, you know, you don't have to turn the TV off. And I'm like, I have to so that I can focus on you. <laughs> I don't want anything distracting me from you. So yeah, that's important too. Well, the next thing that I wanted to share with our young wives, our young married people, honor your husband with the words of your mouth or even without any words coming out of your mouth. Sometimes, you know, sometimes things are better left unsaid. You don't have to verbalize every single thought that comes into your mind, especially when those thoughts are critical, whiny, argumentative, uh, especially when it's I told you so, you know, when you're being constantly corrective, you're complaining, cutting, when you're being in any way unchristlike. Sometimes your most shining moment will be keeping your mouth shut. Again, trust me on this. I'm sure there's not a listener out there who wouldn't go, yeah, I can see where Michelle might desire to keep her mouth shut more often. <laughs> and you would be right. But yeah, when you too. yeah, when you do open your mouth though, honor your husband with your words and and try to watch your tone too. I have a hard time watching my tone. So try to watch your tone too. One really important way that you can do that is to remember that this is your husband, not your child. Don't speak condescendingly to your husband. Don't order him around. Don't otherwise treat him like he's one of your children. He's not. Show him the respect and support and love that a godly wife is to give her husband. And speaking of your children, don't undermine your husband with the kids. God gives your husband the ultimate responsibility for and authority over your family. While you and he can and should privately discuss how to handle disciplinary issues with the children and other family situations that arise, he makes the final decision. So don't collude with the children. Don't argue with your husband in front of them about his decisions. Don't keep secrets from your husband or otherwise attempt to circumvent his directives. Support him, submit to him, and present a united front with him to the children. And what about the way you talk to your husband outside the home? Well, affirm your husband to others. Women can practically turn complaining about their husbands into a competitive sport. 
don't go there. I mean, would you like for your husband to sit around with his friends and complain about you? Don't do it in a boastful way, but as opportunities arise, let others hear you affirming your husband and thanking God for him. And be sure you affirm him when it's just the two of you, too, because he needs to hear those things, too. And then the flip side of that coin is don't publicly shame your husband. As Christians, we should always, privately and publicly, speak and behave in a way that honors God. As married women, that godly behavior will also honor our husbands. Don't ever berate or belittle your husband in front of others or in private either, including on social media. Don't say ugly things about your husband on social media. Uh, don't speak or behave in public in ways that would embarrass him, that you know would embarrass him. Um, when others think about your relationship with your husband, here's what you want them to think. You want other people to think, wow, that guy is really blessed, not, oh, that poor guy. Yeah, that that is exactly right, Michelle. I, ag- I agree with all of that. And you know, when you do talk badly about your husband to others, it reflects very poorly on who you are, uh, much more than your husband. And by the way, if your friends are having a gossip fest about their husbands and bashing them for all their shortcomings, you need to shut that nonsense down real quick. Don't affirm them in their sin. You just smile and say something kind about your husband. And you know you can remind them that there's no such thing as a perfect husband or a perfect marriage, and that we ought to be thankful for the strengths our husbands have. And then we can pray about uh, or work on those aspects that need godly growth. Phew, that was a lot of advice, I think. <laughs> I, I, it goes far beyond don't go to bed mad, doesn't it? Right. There's so much to godly marriages that uh, we probably haven't even touched on yet. But I think that's probably good for now and a good place to stop and wrap it up for this episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. Don't forget to check out the show notes, though, on our website, because we're going to throw a bunch of links in there as well. It, you'll find it at awordfitlyspoken.life. And you can always show us some love by leaving us a, a great review and encouraging a comment or two on your favorite podcast platform. We'd really appreciate that. We sure would. And until next time, strive to be godly, biblical, and loving in your marriage and walk worthy.